Man, it's so good uh, to be here with you today, though. I, I just can't tell you um, how honored my wife and I are to be here. It, it still blows my mind that people would call me asking me to come preach, that they would want to hear me preach and hear me bring God's word. And so it, it's such an honor. Your team here has been incredible, incredible. Um, emailing Austin and talking with Steven and you're just the team greeting us here. I mean, they were asking me, like, what kind of snacks do you like? And like, parking space for, I mean, everything. They've been amazing. So can we give it up for your team here? Um, they lead y'all. They've been, they've been awesome. So thank you so much for that. And it is awesome too. Uh, by God's grace, he let me be here on February 9th um, because it is my wife's birthday. Uh, Courtney, yeah, she came here. And so, which is cool because her family lives down in Greenville, uh, Spartanburg, Kings Mountain area. So her whole family came too. And so I told, uh, I told Stephen, uh, it's a perk. If there's any perks at all when I preach, there might not be many, but you know you're gonna get a bump of like 10 plus people in attendance. Happen, it doesn't matter. And so my parents are here too. So uh, it's just an honor and joy to be with you. So if you have your Bible, go with me to Acts. Acts, what in the world? Esther chapter three. They probably thought I was gonna be like, hey, we're mixing it up. We're not. Esther chapter three is where we're at. Uh, this morning. Old Testament book of Esther, Esther chapter three. And uh, let's pray together and then we're just going to dive in. Okay. Lord, I love you. And uh, God, I'm so, so incredibly grateful and honored and just humbled um, Lord, to be able to deliver and preach your word today. Lord, I thank you for the truth that we just sang. Lord, I thank you for the reminder that we've been given that, Lord, you are the God of miracles. It's who you are. And uh, Lord, we just thank you for that. And Lord, this morning, I pray that you would just allow me just to get out of the way. Lord, it's, it's not about me this morning. Would you just make me a vessel or to communicate what your word has already spoken? Would we confess together that we believe that your word is true in First Peter when it says that the grass withers and the flowers fall, but your word endures forever. So we come to your word, believe in that this morning believing and expecting your word to speak to us in a mighty way. So Jesus, help me lift you up today when I pray that you will use me. And I pray that we just honor you with all we do in our time together. And then we pray. Amen. Amen. So Esther uh, chapter three, I, I heard a guy, um, a preacher that I love to listen to. He said this statement one time that I think is so unbelievably true. He said, it's hard to trust God when you can't trace God. You know, um, I remember being a little kid, I had no artistic ability at all. I mean, I was a stick figure drawer. That's what I did, right? I had no artistic ability. But if you had no artistic ability, there was something you could do. You could take a blank piece of paper and lay it over a previous picture, right? And you could take that blank piece of paper, lay it over a picture, and just very faintly, not really detailed, but just enough, you could see kind of the design of the picture underneath. So, so you could take your pen and you could mark through where the picture was. So by the end of it, you kind of looked like you knew what you were doing, right? You, you could trace the picture underneath. Now, I, I'm only, I turned 25 this June, so I know I'm only 24, but, but I've learned in my life that it's easy to trust God when you can trace him. Like, it's easy to trust God when I say, okay, God, I see why this person's being brought into my life. I see why this situation is being evolved. I see why you're doing this or why you're doing that. But it's a different story when you have to trust God and you can't trace him. When you trust God and really you're sitting there saying, God, I don't see anything at all you're doing in my life. I don't get why this person's here. I don't get why this situation's going on. I don't get why this event's happening, but God, I have to trust you anyway. I hear a lot of y'all saying yes, and I'm glad that maybe some of you have felt that this morning because if you can get that feeling that it's hard to trust him when you can't trace him, that's a good state of mind to be in when we read Esther chapter three this morning. 
Because as we get to Esther 3, by the end of it, we're going to read the whole chapter together eventually throughout the morning. And by the end of it, it is the epitome of a situation where the Jewish people would stand back and say, man, we cannot trace God at all right now. That's where Esther chapter 3 is. So let's start reading chapter 3, verse 1. It says in verse 1, after these things, now stop right there. And now some of you are like, oh my gosh, he's going to stop after every three words. No, I'm not. I'm not. But that after these things is a a pretty loaded verse there in chapter 3. Because after these things is pointing us back to what happened in chapter 1 and 2. How many of y'all ever saw the Esther Veggie Tales? You saw that? When the king uh, calls his wife in to make him a peanut butter and jelly sandwich, okay? That's like the G-rated version of what actually happened in Esther chapter 1, right? In, in Esther chapter 1, you have this king. His name is King Ahasuerus. And he's a ruler. He's a king over 127 provinces in Susa. So it's kind of a big deal. 127 provinces. And in the third year of his reign, he decides, I'm pretty awesome. I'm a king. I'm going to throw a celebration or a festival, basically celebrating my greatness. So, So what he does is he throws a party for himself for 180 days. 180 days. Think about the most narcissistic person you know that just annoys you and they don't hold a candle to this guy right? 180 days. And on top of that, it gets to the end of the 180 days. And he says, you know what? This has not been enough. We need to tack on an extra seven. So he has 187 day celebration, basically having the whole kingdom come, all of his leaders and rulers that are under him coming to tell him how awesome he is. But on the 187th day, he does not ask for a peanut butter and jelly sandwich. He asks if his wife, Queen Vashti, will come and basically show off in front of all of his rulers and officials and men. And Queen Vashti says, bro, no, right? You ain't asking me to come in here and just show off in this way in front of all your people. I'm, that's not who I am. That's not what I'm going to do. Well, how many of you know that in times like this, if the king said to do something, you did it? There's no arguing, there's no uh, you know, discussion happening. If the king said to do it, you, you did it, right? So basically what happens is Vashti says no, and all the king's officials and kind of um, guidance counselors come along and they say, Here, here's the deal, king. If you don't do anything about Vashti, the word's gonna get around in the kingdom that your wife disobeyed you. And then other wives in the kingdom are gonna start disobeying their husbands. This sounds like a wonderful time to live in, doesn't it? It sounds wonderful. But they said, that's what's going to happen. And so they, they said, you need to do something about your queen. So, so King Ahasuerus kicks Queen Vashti out. And a few years go by. And in the seventh year of his reign, they, they basically come and say, hey, you kicked the queen out. We need to fill this vacancy, right? So what the king does is he calls all the top virgins from 127 provinces 127 provinces, calls all the top, most beautiful women and brings them in and the king is going to have his choice in who he wants to marry. You say, Justin, that's disgusting. The Bachelor is like the top show on television right now, right? Same thing that's happening, right? Same thing that's happening. You're like, that's nasty. That's exactly what we watch. It's unbelievable, but that's a different sermon for another day. Um, But that's what he does. So he calls in all these different ladies, right? And his eyes find this young woman named Esther. She's beautiful. I mean, the Bible describes her in probably the most beautiful way it describes any other lady in the Bible apart from maybe Rachel in the Old Testament. I mean, she is just absolutely beautiful. And the king sees her and he says, that's who I want as my wife. But, But if you know the story, Esther has a secret, doesn't she? Esther is not just a normal person who grew up in Susa, who grew up in these provinces, but Esther is a Jew. 
You see, Babylon overtook Jerusalem. They, they ransacked Jerusalem, overtook Jerusalem, and they took a lot of people captive, but a lot of Jewish people were just spread out. And so Esther is one of those groups of people that her family was spread out from the Babylonian takeover. So she's in a foreign land, and yet this king sees her as beautiful and wants to make this Jewish girl, who he does not know is Jewish, his queen. And Esther has one more person we need to meet before we go to chapter three. She has a cousin named Mordecai. In the first service, I think I said that Mordecai was her uncle. That's not right, it's her cousin. And so if you ever feel like you misread the Bible, join the club, right? Because I forgot, I blanked. But, but it's her cousin, Mordecai. is kind of like her legal guardian at the time. Mordecai tells her, when you go to, to meet the king, do not tell him that you are Jewish. And chapter two ends in kind of an abrupt way. It, it ends in Mordecai's walking around kind of the king's guard or whatever, and he hears of an assassination attempt against the king. He, he hears that two guys are planning an assassination attempt. You know, I had to think through, that was probably the worst planned assassination attempt ever, right? I mean, there's no wiretapping in this day. There's no surveillance. Like apparently he just walked around the corner and two guys are talking about killing the king. I'm like, be a little more secretive, right? But he hears the plan. He tells Esther, Esther tells the king, the king investigates it and the two men are put to death. But the weird part is it just ends and Mordecai is not promoted or exalted at all. It just ends and he seemingly gets no recognition for what he did. So when the Bible says after these things, that's what it's pointing us back to. Esther is now queen in year seven of the king's reign and Mordecai was saving the king's life but has never been promoted. So that's where we are. And it says after these things, King Ahasuerus promoted Haman, the Agagite, the son of Hamadatha, and advanced him and set his throne above all the officials who were with him. There's, there's a phrase that I like to teach my high school students. I'm the high school pastor at First Baptist and uh, up in Indian Trail. And there's a phrase I like to teach them to help them read their Bible better. And, and that phrase is this, choice implies meaning choice implies meaning. So what I mean by that is if we believe that the Bible is Holy Spirit inspired, which I do, 2 Timothy 3, 15 and 16, right, that it's inspired and breathed out by God, I don't think a word is there by accident. I don't believe a word, are y'all with me on that? Like a word's not there by mistake. So if it's there, the author under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit chose to have that there. So, so it's tempting for us in our 21st century context to read this and be like, okay, just some like polite information about Haman and who he is and where he's from is being given. But the author is saying something very profound about who, about who Haman is in this verse. See, when it says that Haman is son of Amadatha, the Agagite, that term Agagite, if you're a Jewish reader, would have immediately made you stop in your tracks. Because see, if he's an Agagite, that means he's a descendant of King Agag. King Agag was a king of the Amalekites. And if you know the Old Testament, Amalekites and Jewish people did not really like each other. They, they were not the biggest fans of each other. It started all the way back when God brought his people out of Egypt. God brings them, delivers them, redeems them out of Egypt, and they're coming out and the Amalekites attack the people from behind. Then the Amalekites come up and kind of take a cheap shot at the Israelites and they attack the Israelite people. Well, how many of you know that God does not let people mess with his children? Right? God does not let people mess with his children. So, so God says, when you come into the land, when, when you come into the promised land, this is Deuteronomy 25, he says, when you come into the promised land, you're going to have an opportunity to take out the Amalekites. And when you get that opportunity, you take it. Because I'm not going to let them go unpunished. I'm not going to let my justice go unanswered because of what they did to you out of Egypt. But you know what we see over and over in the Old Testament? is that the Jewish people kept on having opportunities to take the Amalekites out, and guess what? They don't. 
They, they keep on having opportunity after opportunity after opportunity to do what God told them to do, to be obedient to the command that God had for them, and yet they never actually do it. The, the best example of this is Saul in 1 Samuel 15. This is actually kind of the straw that breaks the camel's back for God and Saul, where Saul is basically told to wipe out the Amalekites and he doesn't. And it's actually the very thing that God says to tell Saul, hey, Saul, your time as king is up because the people were never being obedient to what God originally told them to do. So, so don't miss this. The people of Israel, the Jewish people, they're about to deal with a problem in Haman that should have been dealt with hundreds of years ago. You know what I learned from this passage? If you try and tame the things in your life that God tells you to kill, it will eventually come back and bite you. If you try to just control and you try to put under wraps and as best you can just try to tame the things in your life that God tells you to destroy, it will eventually come back and bite you. How many of you know that blocking someone only does so good for so long but if you never deal with the root of unforgiveness and bitterness in your heart, the next person that does you wrong, you're back at square one. Right? How many of you know that if you don't buy God's grace, deal with that lust problem that's hindering your heart, it's eventually gonna wreak havoc on your family? There's things in our life that God tells us to get rid of, that God tells us to flee and to kill, and yet when we don't and we tame it, it will eventually come back and bite us. The Israelites are about to deal with a problem that should have never happened. Haman should have never even been born, but yet due to the disobedience of their ancestors, they are dealing with this problem. Probably some older people in the room would understand this even better than I. Isn't it an intimidating thought to know that my disobedience to God might affect my children? Isn't that what's happening here? They're disobedient to what God called them to do and their generations behind them are dealing with the remains of it. So that's who Haman is. And think about this, think about this. Talk about being hard to trace God. Haman just got promoted. Like if you're a Jewish person reading this, you know, chapter two ends and your guy, Mordecai, he saves the king's life. You know what you're expecting to see in chapter three? If anyone gets promoted, it's the guy who saved the king's life. Like, like if anyone gets exalted, it's him. And yet if you're a Jewish person talking about it's hard to trace God, you flip the page and the enemy of your people the, the one who represents the Amalekites, the one who's been an enemy of your people for hundreds of years, that's the one that gets promoted. Even one verse in, you're looking at this and saying, God, I can't trace you here. So look at what happens. I promise we're not gonna take that much time on every verse, I promise. So look at verse two, what it says. It says, and all the king's servants who were at the king's gate bowed down and paid homage to Haman. For the king had so commanded concerning him. But Mordecai did not bow down or pay homage. Mordecai's like, bro, I know who you are. I know who you represent. I ain't bowing or showing no respect to you. It's like today, um, if you walked up to me and said, hey, Justin, I'm a Duke fan. I'm not shaking your hand. <laughs> especially after last night. Okay, especially after last night. Um, my father-in-law, what's up, Mr. Dale, came up to me and he said, hey, did you see Carolina last night? And I said, man, why'd you do that 30 minutes before I preach? I just... <laughs> I'm okay, I'll get over it. But I'm not shaking your hand, right? Because we're, we're enemies and I don't like y'all right now. I love you in Jesus, but I don't like you right now. And so, so he says, I know who that guy is. That guy represents an enemy to my people. I'm not bowing down. So look what it says in verse three. It says, then the king's servants who were at the king's gate said to Mordecai, why do you transgress? Why do you disobey the king's command? And when they spoke to him day after day and he would not listen to them, they told Haman, in order to see whether Mordecai's words would stand, for he had told them that he was a Jew. Don't you hate people that just stir the pot? 
Isn't that the worst? But listen, Haman doesn't even realize Mordecai's not bowing, does he? And you got these guys who know the law. They know that Mordecai's not bowing. And they say, Mordecai, why ain't you bowing? And then they realize he's a Jew. And they're like, hey, Haman, this, this could be fun to watch here, right? Hey, Haman, what, what? I hate people to stir the pot. I got to watch myself on that, you know? Because sometimes you want to just drop something just to kind of see what happens, you know? It's exactly what happens here. Look at what happens. It says, and when Haman saw that Mordecai did not bow down or pay homage to him, Haman was filled with fury. But he disdained to lay hands on Mordecai alone. So as they had made known to him the people of Mordecai, so they told him that Mordecai was a Jew, Haman sought to destroy all of the Jews, the people of Mordecai throughout the whole kingdom of Ahasuerus. Kind of an overreaction, right? Like one person out in bow says, that guy's a Jew, I'm killing all his people. But, but you know what? Haman is not the moral figure for us to follow in this passage, is it? in this scripture. He's just, he's just not, man. I mean, you could read it and I told the first service and I think they judged me a little bit. But you read, it, you read Esther one through 10 and you just kind of want to punch Haman in the face. Like, I don't know if that's spiritual for me to say, but he's an enemy of God's people and he's just kind of annoying, right? But you know what you can learn? You can learn from, how many of you know, you can learn from people's mistakes just as much as you can learn from other people's successes. Huh? And, and listen, Everyone's bowing down to him. Yet he gets so mad because one person doesn't. You know what blows my mind? I, I can have in my high school ministry back home, I can have tens upon tens upon tens of students who come up and say, man, we love Wednesday night. Love the worship, love the time hanging out, love the preaching. We, we love Wednesday night. But you know what? When one person says, oh, Wednesday's not really, Wednesday night's not really for me, that gets under my skin so bad. And I forget that 99 students just told me they love it and that drives me crazy that one doesn't. Can I tell you, one of the most spiritual things you can do sometimes is just let it go. <laughs> I know that's not like crazy deep. It's just practical. It's like, imagine if Haman would have just let it go. It says, I got everyone else bowing for me. Whatever, I can deal with one. But isn't it funny how the enemy will use one person's thoughts, one person's words, one person's actions to make you feel like nobody is for you or with you. And that's exactly what happens here. So he freaks out and says, we need to kill all of them. So look at what he does. In the first month, verse seven, which is the month of Nisan. Now notice this, in the 12th year of King Ahasuerus. So notice what just happened. I'm gonna see if you're listening. When, when did Esther become queen? Year seven. So Bible reading tip, we just flipped one page. We actually flipped five years, okay? So just when you read your Bible, it's good to notice stuff like that, right? We just actually skipped five years ahead. So in the 12th year of his reign, they cast purr, that is they cast lots before Haman day after day. And they cast it month after month till the 12th month, which is the month of Adar. So, so basically they would have taken these dice and taken these lots and they were trying to cast it because Haman has this plan to kill the Jews. So in doing this, it's, it's kind of ironic here. He's actually consulting his gods. And praying, okay, what would the best chance for me work out? Will the best fortune for me work out? So he's casting his lots and these lots are gonna determine when he hatches his plan. And the lots fall in the 12th month. So by the sovereignty of God, this is in the first month, he gives his people 11 months, right? Because it comes on the 12th month. So look at what he does. Verse eight. It says, then Haman said to the king, Ahasuerus, there is a certain people scattered abroad and dispersed among the peoples of all the provinces of your kingdom. Their laws are different from those of every other people. And they do not keep the king's laws so that it is not to the king's profit to tolerate them. If it pleases the king, let it be decreed that they be destroyed, 
And I will pay 10,000 talents of silver into the hands of those who have charge of the king's business, that they may put it in the king's treasury. Now, verse 10, if you're a Jew, would have been one of the saddest verses you could possibly read. Verse 10. So the king took his signet ring from his hand and gave it to Haman, the Agagite, the son of Hamadatha, the enemy of the Jews. And the king said to Haman, the money is given to you, the people also, to do with them as it seems good to you. So Justin, why is that so sad? Well, if you know anything about kings in this time, they had a signet ring, right? So if a king wanted to make a decree, they would write the decree, they'd take some wax and they would seal his ring on the verdict. It was literally the most powerful weapon in the whole kingdom because whatever the king said, if it was sealed with his ring, that's what went. There, there was no, the Bible even makes it clear several times. There's no revoking what the king says. So there's no going back and editing. There's no back and going back and deleting it. There, there's none of that. If the king writes it and if the king seals it, then it's done. And the king just took off his ring, gave it to Haman and gave all the power of the kingdom to the enemy of the Jews. But God, you're supposed to be for me. God, you're supposed to protect me. God, you're supposed to intervene before stuff like this happens. Like I'm singing, this is how I fight my battles, right? God, you're supposed to do this for me. Help me out, protect me, guard me. And now my enemy just got the most powerful weapon in the entire kingdom. You can't trace God here, can you? Let's just be honest. At this point, it's hard to trace him. So Haman has the weapon. Look at what he does. It says, then the king's scribes were summoned. Notice the day on the 13th day of the first month. And an edict, according to all that Haman commanded, was written to the king's satraps and to the governors over all the provinces and to the officials of the people, to every province in its own script and every people in its own language. It was written in the name of King Ahasuerus and sealed with the king's signet ring. And letters were sent by couriers to all the king's provinces with instruction to destroy, to kill, and to annihilate all Jews, young, old, women, and children in one day, the 13th day of the 12th month, which is the month of Adar, and to plunder their goods. And a copy of the document was to be issued as a decree in every province by proclamation to all the peoples to be ready for that day. The couriers went out hurriedly by the order of the king, and the decree was issued in the Susa, the citadel. And the king and Haman sat down to drink, but the city of Susa was thrown into confusion. Can I tell you what's so messed up about this for the Jewish people? It says, what did it say in verse 12? It's verse 12, right? When the scribes were summoned on the 13th day of the first month, the first month of the Jewish calendar is Nisan. It's the first month of the calendar. The scribes are summoned on the 13th day. You know what they started to celebrate on the 15th day? Passover. You know, Justin, what's significant about that? Well, what's, what's Passover? Well, the people in Exodus, right? They were in Egypt, 430 years in bondage and in slavery, wondering, God, we're clinging to this promise that you made Abraham, that you made Isaac, that you made Jacob. God, what are you doing? And, and in the book of Exodus, God delivers his people with a mighty hand out of Egypt. And as he delivers them in the 10th plague, he tells them, you're to set up a reminder for you. 
You're to set up a reminder where once a year you take seven days and you stop and and wherever you are, whatever city you're in, whatever place you're at, wherever you are, you stop and you look back on how I delivered you and brought you out of Egypt. Look back on how I delivered you from your captors, how I delivered you from slavery, made you a people, brought you to a promised land. Look back and remember how I delivered you. Let me ask you, what was this Passover like? What what is it like to look back and remember God's deliverance in your past, but you're facing destruction in your present? Some of you are like, Justin, I don't even need to think about what that's like because I do that every Sunday right now. Where I can look back and I can name stuff. God, you did that in my past. God, you did this in my past. God, you did that for my family. You did this for my family. And God, that's great. But right now, what I'm going through is pretty hard. Right right now, what I'm going through, God, if you don't move and if you don't show up and if you don't do something, I might not make it. So God, that's great you did it then, but what are you doing now? That's what they would have been feeling. As they look back, you know, I have to imagine that Passover was not celebrated with joyful shouts. You know, sometimes it's okay to praise God through tears. You know that? I have to imagine they're eating this Passover meal together. The edict just went out a few days before and they're like, God, what are you doing? It's hard to trace God, isn't it? And did you see Haman? Did you see how Haman ended? I just want to punch him. What did you see what he did? He said, the king and Haman sat down to drink, but the city of Susa was thrown into confusion. He thinks he has won. He thinks he's won and the people of God have lost. And that's how Esther chapter three ends. You're like, Justin, news advice for you. When you're a guest preacher, preach something encouraging, right? <laughs> preach, <laughs> sorry. You know, there's a game that um, I really love, but I never play it and it's, it's chess. How many chess players in here? Anybody like to play chess? Uh, I never really play, but I like it and it fascinates me, right? Um, the only thing I don't like about chess is you can't win in a sneaky way, right? Like you, you can't win in a sneaky way if you've never played chess. The reason why, because really it doesn't matter how many pieces of yours I knock out. I just got to knock out the one piece, right? I got to get the king. And, and what's really kind of dumb about the game is, is before I, I win, I have to either call check or checkmate, Right? I gotta call you those two things. And, and there's a little bit of difference. So check is when I have my pieces positioned in the perfect way that I think I can knock your king out, but there's an exception. So your king still has an opportunity to get away. So if I say check, I'm basically saying, look, if you don't move your king at all, I win, but there's still an opportunity for you to kind of block the man that I'm sending, or you can move your king to the left or right and you can get out of it. That, that's check. But where you wanna get to is what? Checkmate, right? That's what you want to get to. Because that means that I've positioned my pieces perfectly that there's nothing you can do. You you can't move them. You can't block it. There's nothing you can do. My pieces are positioned perfectly to accomplish the objective of the game to take out your king. Haman has called checkmate in Esther chapter three, hasn't he? I mean, listen, the, the ring has been sealed. The verdict's been sealed. He's sitting there drinking and yucking it up with the king, right? He he thinks he's accomplished his objective. There's nothing, you can't overturn a king's edict. You can't overturn it. So so he's thinking, man, I've accomplished my goal. He is called checkmate on the people of Israel. But, But you know what's really embarrassing when you play chess? It's really embarrassing those moments when you think that you're in checkmate, right? You're laughing because you've done that before, hadn't you? You think you're there. 
And you're like, okay, with all the confidence in the world, you like, checkmate, right? And you sit there for a second, the person's looking and then he moves his piece and you're like, oh gosh, I wasn't in checkmate, I was only in check. And what's really bad is when a few moves later, you lose. <laughs> Cause you were this close or you thought you were. And you thought you had it and you thought you had it positioned perfectly, but really you were in check the whole time. I got news for you. Haman is called checkmate. But he does not realize that in going after these people, he brought their God in on it. And he has no idea who their God is and what he is capable of. You know, can I just remind you this morning that your God and my God has a knack for winning even when it seems like he's gonna lose. Your God and my God has a knack for delivering his people even when it seems like there's no option for them to be delivered. I remember back, we can think about Joseph, right? Joseph is thrown into a pit. Joseph is thrown into prison. Joseph is, everything is going bad in his life and yet God can still take him and exalt him to second in command of Egypt. I think about the people of Israel as they're leaving Egypt and God has brought them out miraculously. Do you remember what happened? They get to a place where there's a Red Sea on one side and an army closing in on the other. It seemed like God had lost. See, my God, you did all this for, for this? Like you saved us and redeemed us and did all that just to let us die here? But God said, oh no, I can take that sea and I can make a highway. I can take that sea and make it dry ground for you to walk through and crush your enemies behind it when they come in after you. That's how good I am. I think about the people when they're fighting against Jericho. Little to no battles experience at all. Little to no experience in the military. And they get out there and they start walking around the walls. Wouldn't it have been nice if God would have just let a brick fall every day? Just something to show them that the walking was actually working. Yet they walk for seven days and they haven't seen anything. Can you imagine Jericho looking at them like, man, these foolish people, but what do we know about God? All he needs is obedience from his people. And they just lift up a shout and the walls come crumbling down. What about David as he's fighting Goliath? Goliath has been mocking the people of God, ridiculing them. They're thinking there's no way we can top him. There's no way we can beat this giant. But God says, all I need is a shepherd boy, a stone and a sling, and I'll take care of him in a second. We could go all through. We could look at Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. We could look at Daniel. We could look at Lazarus. We could look at all these different places. But can I point you to the cross for a second? Because if there was ever a moment, I need you to hear me. If there was ever a moment when it seemed like God had lost, it was as Jesus was hanging on the tree. There was ever a moment when it seemed like God had lost, it was as his son was bloody on a cross. And he breathed his last. They took him down. They placed him in a tomb. They sealed it up. They put Roman guards in front of it. But how many of you know that even a grave cannot stop the purposes of God? That your God... And my God has a knack for winning even when it seems like he's going to lose. Here's all I came. This is why I drove two hours this morning on my wife's birthday to tell you. It's not over. So some of you have labeled your some of you have labeled situations in your life as checkmate. That it's over. It's, it's irredeemable. God can't do anything with this. God can't do anything with that. You and I serve a God who is able to win even when it seems like he's going to lose. Can I just tell you, if you keep reading, you should read Esther tonight. You should go home and read it. Because can I tell you just a few things to happen? Esther goes before the king and she asks to prepare a banquet for Haman. And eventually, these are all the things that happen. Haman actually has to parade Mordecai through the streets. God might use your enemies to exalt you. <laughs> That's what he does there. Haman actually ends up dying on the gallows that he prepared for Mordecai. 
Haman actually gets the signet ring of the king by the end of the book. Haman gets, I mean, Mordecai gets to move into Haman's palace by the end of it. The, the people on the 13th day of the 12th month are saved and delivered. It seemed like it was over in chapter three, but God was positioned for victory. And you know how he was? This is so good to me. Remember when Esther became queen? When did she become queen? Year seven. When did Haman come on the scene? <laughs> Y'all missed it. God saw Haman coming five years before he ever even showed up. You get that? Haman comes on year 12, thinks he has this plan. He's like, man, I've outsmarted these people. I've outsmarted their God. He says, boy, you're playing checkers and I'm playing chess, man. I saw you five years before you ever even showed up on the scene. My prayer this morning is that as a church, as a people of God, our faith would increase. That our faith would move from a place where we would say that, God, I can't see the next five seconds. Doesn't that freak you out a little bit? Five seconds, I have no idea what's gonna happen. But I can trust the God who can shape five years. I can trust the God you're saying, Justin, I don't get what God's doing in my life right now. I don't either, but he might've done something five years ago that's preparing you for what you're gonna go through tomorrow. That's what, that's what he did Esther. Can you imagine Esther, she's queen, wondering, God, why am I here? Why, why am I this? And what's Mordecai gonna say in the next chapter? Maybe you're here for such a time as this. It's not over. It's not over. It's not over for the people of Israel here wasn't over for him between a Red Sea and an army, wasn't over for him against Goliath, and it was not over for Jesus on the cross. Your God is always positioned to deliver his people. He always is. Would you bow your head and close your eyes with me? And I just wanna ask you this morning, I don't, um, I know I'm not the pastor here and I don't pretend to be, but I just want to know so I can, I can pray for you. How many of you, with just no one really looking around, would say, Justin, I'm, I'm going through a situation right now where it's impossible for me to trace God. So I can't see what he's doing. I don't see how he's active. And Justin, it's really, really hard for me to trust him in this moment. If that's you, just so I can pray with you, would you just raise your hand? Amen. Thank you for that. Man, for those that raised your hand, and even for those that didn't, because newsflash, you live long enough, you're probably going to go through a season like that. And you just remember, when you can't see the next five seconds, your God can shape the next five years. Even when it seems like he's not working, he's working. He always has the last word. He always has the final say. He's always positioned to deliver his people. Even graves cannot stop the purposes of your God and my God. My prayer is that your faith would increase this morning. And I don't wanna leave this morning without giving an opportunity just to say, if you're here and you've never begun to really follow Jesus, you've never turned from your sin and you've never placed your faith and trust in God. And maybe the reason that you haven't done that is because you felt like you couldn't see God and you felt like God hasn't done anything in your life. Well, he's brought you here this morning. He's brought you here to hear the hope of the gospel that Jesus has freed you from your sin, that Jesus can deliver you from anything. He's brought you to hear that. And you know, this morning you need to place your faith and trust in him. And you might not even know what that looks like. But you say, Justin, I know I'm not following Jesus now and I know that I need to. With every head bowed and every eye closed, if that's you, would you just raise your hand? If that's you. Amen. And if that's you, I want you to go find one of the pastors here, one of the team members here. And tell them about the decision you made and let them walk through that with you. Lord, I love you. God, I thank you so much for this opportunity to be here today. Lord, and I thank you for the reminder. We're from Esther chapter three, but, but literally the reminder of your word 
is that God, there's so many times when we might not be able to trace you, but Lord, you're working. You're always working. You're, you're always positioned to deliver your people. God, you simply don't lose. And we thank you for that. Would I pray for someone whose faith is struggling this morning? Would they don't feel like they're gonna see victory in their life? They, they don't feel like they're gonna see what you're gonna do, but Father, I pray, pray that their faith would increase. Father, as we sing this next song, they, they might not feel it as they sing it, but I pray that they will sing it in faith, that we can be confident that we will see victory, not because the battle belongs to us, because if the battle belonged to us, we would be in trouble, but the battle belongs to you. What I pray, I pray that our faith would rise this morning, that when we can't see the next five seconds, we would trust you who can shape five plus years. Ah, oh, it's not over when we're with you. We thank you so much for that, Jesus. I pray blessings over this church. Lord, I thank you for giving me the opportunity to be here with them this morning. Lord, may we lift you up in this time. We love you. We love you. In your name we pray.